Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Merrill Memo. So folks, is Dubbo's crime rate really on the increase? Are the social media posts correct? Also, does Dubbo need another bridge? Is the South Dubbo Bridge back on the agenda? And what's happening with Dubbo's Dream Festival? Has a new date suddenly been set? Good morning there, Matt. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Mark. And thanks for coming along again every week and doing this with me. But I do want to say just a quick well wish to Richard Ivey, our Deputy Mayor. It is gallbladder out during the week. Ooh. So he's been in Dubbo Hospital having that operation and he's been overly impressed with the services there at Dubbo Hospital. That's and, a good sign. And just said the staff there are wonderful. Mm. They really look after you. Everyone really cares about you. And so, yeah, he's been really impressed with that. Mm. But I've also been impressed with Richard. He's still been answering emails, sending text messages while he's been sitting there <laughs> While in he's his sitting there bed. on his, what appearing to be, hopefully not his deathbed, but lying there on his bed, at least there in the hospital, sending you the emails. Oh, oh that's, that's nice. I, I do worry a little bit about the emails you might send out after you come out of general anaesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the abusive you. ones are okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, look, best of wishes to Richard. I'm sure he'll be back on his feet. Wonderful. I think he's, he's probably back home by now by the time people are listening to this. But uh, yeah, look, it, it was a bit of a shock for him, obviously, just some mm. stomach pain. And the next thing you know, he's in hospital. So a oh, bit, bit of a shock to councillors as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So look, I was uh, watching a bit of TV there during the week and your uh, face suddenly popped up on Channel 9, the Today Show. Oh, you've got a bit of a call there during the week in regards to what appears to be the the point of argument seem to come, the fact that Dubbo's crime rate's been on the increase. Now, this all comes from a social media post in regards to the whole idea of uh, setting up, well, let's just say uh, one of those wonderful moments where people cannot go out at night from, uh, you know, dusk till dawn, one of these sort of agendas. So tell me, Matt, is Dubbo, are we in the midst of a crime rate and do we need to have curfews? Well, I don't think we need to have a curfew to answer that question specifically. Mm. If we do need to have a curfew, then Dubbo Regional Council does not have the power to impose a curfew, nor does it have the ability to police a curfew, Mm. nor does it have the resources to police a curfew. So it's all a bit of a moot point, if you like. Mm. I got an email during the week at about just before six o'clock on one morning from right. a producer of the Today Show and said, can you come on the Today Show at 8 o'clock this morning, so not a lot of notice. Yeah, happy days. And talk about the curfew that residents are screaming out for. Mm. And I actually said, well, I'm not aware of any curfew that's being screamed out for. And so he pointed me to an article that was in the Dubbo News. Now, the Dubbo News is the local version of the Daily Telegraph. Right. Is this, so, it's an online thing, is it? Or? Yeah, that's okay. right. And so I had a bit of a read of that and – it was a story about some comments on social media. And the comments on social media said, oh no, crime's going through the roof. My brother or uncle or friend or whatever mm. had their car stolen or had their house broken into. We've got to have a curfew. We de- demand a dusk till dawn curfew. Wow, South Africa going back in the 1980s. There we oh, go. Just, mm. Anyway, so let's take it on its merits. So we've got some mm. residents calling out for a curfew. Now, mm. if you want to make change in any community, any environment, then probably going to the people that can make the change would be sensible. Mm. Some comments on social media are not the way, or is not the way you affect change in government. Mm. I'm sure that Anthony Albanese or Chris Minns don't sit there and read every social media comment every day and say, right, tomorrow we need to introduce some new legislation because I read it on social media last Absolutely. week. You can imagine how that would be received by Parliament. Mm. There are processes to go through and if you want to make change then make application to the people that can actually make those changes. Mm, but yep. ignore that for the moment. Yep. Let's assume the residents out there calling for a curfew. Mm. So, yes, I did end up on the Today Show talking about that, and I did say the points I just made that I don't have the power to do it anyway. Council, me or council, we don't have the power to do all of that. But let's break it down. Why are people calling for a curfew? Mm. Let's have a look at this crime wave. Well, are the figures increasing? Is, is there any justification at all for this sort of proposal, let's just put it like that? And this is exactly the thing. I've got to be careful here because I don't like to see any crime. Mm. Ideally, in Dubbo Regional Council, forget about it, in the world, I'd like to see zero crime. But I'm a realist. Mm. We have crime. We have crime in our society, unfortunately. We have correctional centres, jails in our society because we've got crime in our society. Mm. It'd be wonderful to do away with all of that and have no more crime. I think I'd be dreaming of a utopia mm. that I would be seen as completely unrealistic and out of touch with society if I said there was no crime. Of course there's crime. Mm. Mm. What you're looking at is 
How's that being addressed? Is it getting better or worse? What are the impacts? All of these things. Now, keep in mind that Dubbo Regional Council does not control any part of the crime sphere. Uh, I'm pretty sure you don't have a sub-branch of policing or security in that grouping there. All of those things. So we Mm. don't control the police at the state government. We don't control the laws around sentencing against state government. We don't control the magistrates or the court system. They're very much independent in terms of the way they deal with that. They're not influenced by state government or Mm. by me saying you should go and put those people away a bit longer. They've got the laws of the state to deal with according to that. And even other parts associated with that, you might say that people that haven't got a home to go to are committing crimes so they can pay for somewhere for them to stay overnight, that type of thing. Again, social housing is another state government issue. So the amount of influence that council can have on Mm. this is negligible. But I'm still a mayor of Deborah Regional Council, so of course I care about the region and I care what's happening. So I want to know if there's crime, and I do meet with the police on a regular basis. I sit down with the commander Mm. every quarter to sit down and go through a whole range of things and can council help in any of those areas. But this crime wave that I'm reading about on social media... Let's break it down a little bit. There's a, a website called Boxar, which is the state government publishes all the crime stats across the state, broken down in a whole range of different ways. Okay. B-O-X-A or something. B-O-C-S-A-R. Okay. Yeah. The New South Wales Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research. When you look at the Boxar information, which is what I'd prefer to do, and I'd prefer to base my information on Boxar. Not opinions, that's Yeah, rather than someone who had their cast on, not mm. to diminish the impact on that person who had their car stolen, there's a huge amount of impact on someone. Mm. Yes, I've had break-ins. I've had crimes committed against me, my person, my business, my household in my life. So crime is terrible when it happens mm. to you. But you've got to look at the data to see what's happening. If you look at motor vehicle theft, because some people on these social media sites were talking about cars being stolen, motor vehicle theft over the last year, so we're talking about 2022 versus 2021 right. on the Boxar stats, Crime, in terms of increased motor vehicle theft, has gone up by 3.6%. Okay. Across the state, and I didn't have the data for the last year, I only had the last two years, across the state, motor vehicle theft has gone up 17%. Right, So, everywhere, more cars have been stolen. Dubbo is going up less Mm. than across the state. Mm. And so, still, that's not good. I'd still rather going down, but is it a crime wave? Mm. Well, let's consider a few other things. And are we any different from other areas? That's spot on our population increased by 0.91%. Okay. If you get an increase in population, you go to somewhere that's got a higher population, you're going to expect to see higher crime rates. There's more crime in Sydney than there is in Dubbo because it's more population. Mm, mm. Other factors might be in there as well. But you see a higher population, you're going to see an increase in crime. So 0.91% increase in population, that's great. Mm. But all the good things that come with population growth, for example, a good hospital system, so a deputy mayor can go in and get a good hospital treatment, then you're going to see other things come up as well, including Mm. the amount of crime. The other thing is that we've had COVID-19 restrictions, obviously, so people were in their homes, not going out as much, so there was less activity. As those restrictions have been lifted, then you're going to see increases in a whole range of activities, including crime. Mm. So the 3.6% increase in motor vehicle theft I saw as bad. I'd rather go down. I'd rather it be zero. Yeah. But in the whole scheme of things, is that a crime wave? Is that alarming? Is that, oh my gosh, let's leave Dubbo because the crime's so bad? Well, when you consider that 0.91% and the COVID-19 restrictions and the 17% across the state, Mm. well, gee, if I go somewhere else, it mightn't be 3.6%, it might be 10%, it might be 15%. If the average is 17%, well, that must mean there's probably some sites that absolutely. are much more, more than, than that. that. Absolutely, yeah. And when you look at the box R stats, and you can get it broken down across the council areas, mm. and it's got red and green and just plain black, so it's got red mm. background or green background or, or white background for all these stats. Mm. You look at it across all these LGAs across the state, and there's lots of red and some green and some white all across there. So it's a variety mm. of things and a variety of different ones. So murders in Dubbo, 2022 <coughs> versus 2021 – was negligible. Mm. There were no murders. Mm. So that particular stat just said not applicable because there was no comparison between one year and the next, whereas other LGAs, there were murders in there. There were Mm. the data showing how murders had increased or decreased. So again, what I said on today's show was as I walked down the main street in Dubbo, I ducked down to the supermarket at night time to pick up some shopping, whatever. I don't feel my life is threatened. Mm. I don't feel like I'm more than likely going to be a victim of crime, 
I think it would be very unlikely that I'd be a victim of crime, parking my car down the main street, ducking into the supermarket. So, and again, I don't want to dismiss crime. I don't want to say it's not relevant. It is absolutely relevant, but I just don't think Dubbo has got a crime wave. And I actually got another phone call during the week on the back of this. So remember, this started with some social media comments. Yes. Then the Dubbo News wrote an article about it, which I didn't think was much of an article because there was a couple of people making comment on social mm. media. Mm. Then it ran to the Today Show. Then 2GB rang me on the back of that. I see you had the phone call from 2GB as well. That's right. And okay. said, we saw the story on Today Show, which came from mm. all the other things I've just mentioned. So this has all originated basically from uh, one person who was a, a writer for this social media site that has then been picked up by other people who make comments on this site. And it's been picked up then through the Today Show. 2GB then picked up what was happening on the Today Show and they've then given you a call from there. Correct. Now, what okay. they wanted me for, they didn't want me to make a comment because they saw my comments on the Today Show and thought that was a bit too sensible and rational. They wanted something a bit so more So they didn't ask you to go live with them? Didn't want me to talk to them. They said, we're trying to get some people that have been victims of crime in Dubbo and we want to hear their stories and how bad it's been. Mm. But we're ringing around a few businesses and a few places and a few people in Dubbo. We can't find anywhere. We can't find anyone, in fact, that can tell us about their story, about their crime, the crime wave, how bad it's getting. So as the mayor, you'd know about some of these people with all these terrible stories. Could you tell us those so we could have them on 2GB oh, and run double really the ground? They really that question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. So yep. I said, I'm happy to come on and talk to you mm. about Dubbo being a wonderful place to live, mm. about how you don't feel at risk walking down the main street, and even an increase in crime, 3.6%, or 4.5% increase in break and enters in the last mm. year. So mm. again, not alarming stats that I feel safer in my house down the main street of Dubbo than I do in, say, Sydney or in mm -hmm. some other areas around the state. But the thing that is that we live in a regional area, so most people expect no crime. Most mm. people expect to go through their life without having the crime. The idyllic existence, the utopian society. And, and my mum, who died in 2018, mm. even to the day she died, she would go down the main street and have her car parked, and the keys would typically be under the sun visor yes. or under the mat on the floor, unlocked. Mm. Yeah. So you'd say to mum, mum, there are people who might steal your car. No, no. I trust everyone at Dubbo. It's a beautiful little country town. Mum, it's a city now. It's a, mm. it's a thriving metropolis now. It's a, it was a city from 1966. Mm. Oh, no, it's a lovely place. Her front door, we finally got mum to lock the front door of her house, mm. But the back door of the house mm. was always unlocked. Always open. So if you wanted to go and visit mum, you just walked around the back, walked in the back door. Yeah. Hey, young mum. Like, it just seems crazy. This is only a few years ago, I remember. Yes, yes. So this is the thing. In a regional area, many people expect to be able to leave their door unlocked and leave the car unlocked. And having said that, mum never got a car stolen, <laughs> never got a house broken into, yeah, even yeah. though the doors were unlocked. Mm. So I think when there's any crime, that's when it's a bit alarming and a bit Do scary. Do you think that's maybe the fact that where things like this get drawn from is that um, obviously I'd suggest some of these people that have commented have probably had crime committed against them, possibly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so there's a, probably a, a point of frustration maybe that, that this is maybe what they expect. They expect to come to a place like Dubbo and they expect the fact that there is no crime because it's a country town. And then when crime does happen to them, there's a point of frustration. And I suppose it, it then when you're, like currently, there's a, there's a lovely burnt-out car there sitting on the the main sort of run into town. Um, I'm sure we moved probably some stage during this point of this week. But those sort of visual things for people certainly tends to throw the, the hyperbole out, doesn't it? You know, like they get very flustered and look at this, there's another example of it. And But the reality is, which you're seeing with the figures, it's, it's no different from anywhere else across the board in so many areas. Well, people have told me about some of the incidents happening in the Northern Territory, for example, where there are 30-person brawls out the front of a pub. Yeah. I don't expect to drive down the main street of Dubbo and see a brawl sprawling out onto the street. Yeah. So it certainly is something where it's, it's I think it's a safe place to live and yeah. I don't fear, fear for my life at home no, or, no. or driving or walking around or tracker riley going for a, an early morning run or something. I, I don't feel like, oh no, I hope I don't get mugged today. Well, and, Matt, you, and we've you, been victim of crime. We, I remember one yeah. time we dropped off, it was actually my wife who dropped off one of our kids at childcare. From the time she parked the car pretty much out the front, mm. walked in, took one of our children in, signed in the book and came back out. In that time, the window of the car had been smashed because my wife, don't ask why, she had two handbags at the time, yes. one that had her normal things in it, and the other one was empty at the time because she swapped between them for whatever reason. Yeah. Don't ask me to understand the logic there, but yeah. the empty handbag she left visible yes. in the front seat of the car, which is a, a rookie mistake. You don't yeah. leave visible stuff in the car. Yeah. And some kids had come along 
and they'd smashed the window, that's right, yeah. and grabbed the handbag. And as she came out, she saw them running off the street carrying a handbag. Hold on, that looks like my, oh, the front mm. window smashed. Now they got nothing. There mm. was nothing in that handbag. The cost of the window replacement and the handbag was worth a lot more than anything they got because they, well, they got nothing basically. But even if they had gotten some money out of there, the cost of those was more and the frustration of that and the inconvenience of that. Whatever my wife had to go and do then, she had to go to a, an auto glass place and have you got this glass in stock and you get it in, get that fixed up and the cost mm. of all that. So that sort of thing happens and it's frustrating and annoying. And so I understand when people have had crimes committed against them, it is bad, annoying, frustrating. It's, it's terrible, but... It's not like a crime wave is going through no, the place. No, no. And, and it's not like it's anything different in so many ways to what I would have experienced and you've sort of talking about here. You know, I uh, very quickly, you know, when I was a young guy growing up in Dubbo, and I've been here for on and off for the best part of 50 years, never once felt physically threatened in this town. Never once had that moment of where I'm thinking, okay, I'm feeling physically threatened right now. Mm. Um, you know, as, as a young bloke, we had our house broken into by the same guy. He was a, had a, a drug problem. We Eventually the police caught him. Um, but he broke into the same place over the course of about six months, three times. And this is going back in the 1980s. Now, yeah, we would have been very frustrated. I'm sure my parents were very frustrated. But they were very realistic in regards to the fact that they worked out there was one guy who did this. Police eventually caught him. They stayed in town. My mother stayed here until she passed away. My father's still in town. You know, so this is the thing. There are so many the the positives that we have in this wonderful region, and we just have to be careful from time to time that situations will happen. But this is no different to anywhere else, wherever else you want to live. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's important as well is that it's probably more visible now. Mm. And if you think about when we're at school, there'd be sometimes Billy and Jimmy are going to have a fight behind yes. the. Library at oh, absolutely. 3.30, straight yeah, after yeah, school today. That's right. And for whatever reason, there'd be a crowd of kids that would gather around to watch said fight. Yes. And then uh, you'd start and there'd be a sensible teacher who'd come along and say, okay, you two settle down and everyone just go home and catch the bus home or whatever it was. Yeah. And that was the end of it. But now, of course, the same thing happened and there would be 30 cameras That's right. trained on yep. Jimmy and Billy they and then across all those yeah. social media sites and then, oh no, yeah. look at this, what happened in The Today Show picks it up and 2GB wants to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. So that's right. it's a little bit frustrating because I think we've got so many positives here. I'd rather be on the Today Show every week talking about the wonderful things in Dubbo Absolutely. and the wonderful people here in Dubbo. Yes. Instead, it's this silly thing about a curfew. And, and just think about this for a second. Mm. A dusk to dawn curfew. So you want to go out with your friends to a restaurant, you go out and you have a lovely dinner and you come out of the restaurant and you say, oh, I've just got to duck around to the supermarket and just grab a couple of things before we go home. So you walk around the supermarket and a policeman comes along and says, oh, what are you doing there, sir? We better slap a fine on you because you're out past the curfew. I'm, I'm just, I've left the restaurant, I'm just walking around the supermarket, doesn't matter, it's after dusk and keep in mind that dusk at the moment, well sunset at the moment, yeah, is about five 20 o'clock. past five yeah, or right. yeah, five yeah, o'clock yeah. as we go more into winter. Yeah. So... From that time, people aren't leaving work sometimes for 5.30. Sometimes people, I don't know, ride their push bike, walk home. Yep. So you couldn't do that. Absolutely. It just seems crazy. And the other one that made me have a bit of a chuckle, I did read a comment that said, so let me get this right. Stealing a car is got a, has got a certain penalty associated with it. You might end up in jail. Or breaking into someone's home and stealing stuff, you might end up in jail. So you've got penalties associated with that. So the people that are doing that, you introduce a curfew and they're suddenly going to say, oh, we the better not go there, out. I won't steal the car anymore. That's right. I won't go out after dark. <laughs> I better right. make sure I'm tucked in bed and safely at home at night time because I might get in trouble yeah. for a curfew. I'm pretty sure, and I don't know what they are, but I'm pretty sure the penalties for breaching a curfew are less severe than the penalties for stealing a car or breaking into a home. So I don't think it's going to really have an impact on no, the people committing the crimes. No, those guys, no It's going chance. to have a, an impact on good, honest citizens, which is what Dubbo's mostly made Absolutely. up of. Absolutely. That's, I think, one of the great success stories here in Dubbo is Westhaven. They have, boy, oh boy, haven't they grown as an operation? I noticed there during the week that uh, you went out to a, a house opening of one of the new NDIS housing that they've got set up there. Um, give me a little bit of background here, Matt, in regards to how big Westhaven now is and what are the operations they're into? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you'd remember the same as I would growing up in Dubbo and Westhaven mm. was always seen as a very trusted organisation. Yes. Ugg Boots, of course, something that is yeah, yeah, with yeah. Westhaven. Had their little set up there at the bottom of, was it Palmer Street originally, I think? Yeah, that's been. right. And then I think they moved over to Hawthorne at one stage. Yes, so, yes. And now they're up on Wheeler's Lane, of course. But 
it was always seen as somewhere for a good place for people with a disability yep. to have some gainful employment. And I remember visiting there at various times over the years mm. that it was actually a really uplifting experience. You saw people there yep. who obviously had some disabilities, yep. but I've never met a workplace or seen a workplace that's got happier people in it. Yes, so it, yes, it actually absolutely. made you feel really good when you yeah. walk into West Haven and just walked around, just Real watched joy. people doing it. Oh, mm. it was fantastic. So... Obviously, NDIS has changed the whole structure, the whole landscape for people mm. with a disability in Australia, for the better, without a doubt. And NDIS housing is one of those things in terms of having people that you can actually have some form of independent living. And keep in mind that if you're a parent or parents that have got someone that's been born with a disability, you really have that um, process where you're looking after that person pretty much for life. Yeah, yeah, now, it's probably nice at some stage to say, I just want to have a, a small reprieve. break, yep. a bit of reprieve. And there are yep. various processes set up for that. Yep. But NDIS housing and, and part of that, some independent living is absolutely a, a better way to go. Mm. So West Haven, obviously having the experience and the trust they have in the community, have jumped on board with the NDIS program and started building their capabilities and building their services to the point now that they've got approximately 110 houses in Dubbo. 110 houses? That are NDIS wow. houses. So Massive. these are people that are in the NDIS scheme that yep. are living somewhat independently, maybe a carer, maybe someone that comes in from mm-hmm. time to time, maybe a full-time carer, obviously varying levels of disability. Mm. So that's a really positive thing. But they're pretty clever in what they do, and they've formed two other subsidiaries of West Haven. Okay. So, so they're not just West Haven anymore now. There's, there's well, they still other are West operational Haven, groups. But they, West Haven name still keeps, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's right. But but they've set up two groups, for example. One's called ZAPTI and one's called Excelsior Housing Services. Okay, cool names. They are. And mm-hmm. so both of those were designed to provide some services for West Haven. So, for example, they need to do maintenance and modifications of various houses. So right. that's where ZAPTI was set up because obviously – West Haven might buy a house, yep. but it might need ramps installed or it might need some changes in the bathroom for it to be suitable for some of their clients. Okay, so so the, they actually use the clients as well as part of that, as part of that process to help in that, uh, you know, the remodification of the homes and things like this? Or I assume there are certain sta- – I don't know enough about that to answer sure. it categorically, but I assume there are certain standards and that a house is being set up specifically for a client. Yep. Okay, this client has got these needs. We need to make sure the house is set up appropriately. Mm-hmm. So West Haven were – doing some of those or maybe okay. contracting those. So they set up Zapti as a subsidiary yep. as that. And then Excelsior Housing Services basically is a, a, a another company, another subsidiary mm. of West Haven that basically builds and manages the accommodation from the ground up. Mm. The interesting part is when I spoke to them at this particular opening during the week, I said, so why did you set up these subsidiaries rather than just have it all under West Haven? Yeah. Yeah. And the reason they did it, which was quite clever, is that they know that West Haven needs these services, but there are other providers, not just West Haven out there mm. in the community, who need these same services. So oh, okay. So they literally become a source out then for other groups as well. Correct. Okay. So they now can contract to any NDIS provider, including West Haven, even oh, though wow. they're owned by West Haven. So quite clever. Absolutely. But this particular facility we went and looked at, it was over in West Dubbo, mm. and essentially it was a custom-built house. So sometimes they'll buy a house and they'll modify it to suit, but this mm. was built from the ground up. You look at the front, it just looks like a nice maybe three or four bedroom home from mm. the front. It's got a garage and it all looks fine, but mm. they bought a double block and the frontage looks normal. But as you go behind that, they had three separate independent living areas. Oh, okay. And these three in particular were for some children that have very high needs. Right. And sometimes right. they're a bit physical with what they do. So, yep. for example, the TV in each of these three units was a TV that was in a vandal-resistant case. Yeah, right. So if they do get a little bit physical and, and maybe throw things in there, mm. then they've mm. got somewhere to resist that. The walls, for example, not just normal chiprock, that can be damaged pretty easily. It was yeah. a, a stronger material. So everything was built in there mm. specifically for these clients. And so keep in mind that the, the three kids, so the three separate independent living areas, the three kids in those have got a full-time carer with them 24 hours a day. So right. obviously they'd have people yeah, on shifts yeah. come through there. And then the front part of the house was an admin and a common area, but sometimes these kids don't always work well together. So mm. that common area is something that they'll tease out over time to see how mm. much time they can have spent with those kids there. For the neighbours on either side, I did talk about that. I said, mm. how are the neighbours? I said, as far as the neighbours concerned, mm. 
They've just got someone moving into a new house next door. So there's no special zoning requirements or anything like that? Residential housing. Okay. And again, there'd be people out there right now that might have an NDIS house next to them. They would know. Now, mm. that 110 is West Haven. There are other NDIS providers in Dubbo as well. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, many people are out there now at the moment. And you wouldn't know you've got NDIS housing personnel beside you. But it's great to see a local homegrown company like yeah. West Haven. And one huge of the, employers these days. Huge employers, to, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And one of the comments that was made by one of the staff I spoke to was that they don't seem to have many problems with the neighbours because the West Haven name is very well respected and very well regarded in the Dubbo community. So yes. that seemed to be something that was quite nice. But yes. again, this is happening. This is reality. There's been a bit of talk in the media lately about NDIS, about the costing of NDIS. Mm. This is at the federal government level. But the reality is it's providing services for people that it's have working. missed out for a long time. Yeah. And I think you've got good organisations like West Haven. I think some of the discussion at the federal level was about some rorting that goes on. And I'm sure any system you've got, mm. there'll be some people who will take advantage of it or who will rort the system. West Haven's not one of those, yeah. definitely. But I think the thing is that let's focus or let the federal government focus on the people doing the wrong thing rather than penalise everyone It's the 90-10 rule, isn't it, you know? Yeah, I think this one will probably be the 98-2 rule. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because I think most of those NDIS providers out there have a genuine mm. care and a love for what they're doing. Yeah. And having the money means they can provide the services at the right level. That's awesome. And there are some organisations, I'm sure, who go, oh, money from the government, let's see how we can rort this. But that, yeah. that happens, unfortunately. Well, well done, society. West Haven. I noticed during the week, too, that you uh, had a councillor workshop on the South Dubbo Bridge option, or the South Bridge option, we'll call it. Um, this has been bandied around for a few years, this, uh, in regards to, like, I know we've got the new bridge sort of being developed there heading north of town. Um, but there's also potentially, I'd suggest, the fact that the, the South Bridge is back on the agenda again. Um, is this because it's like a future planning sort of an idea, thinking about where Dubbo, you think about West Dubbo side now and the expansion of the residence over there in West Dubbo and the housing over there, is, is there a need to, uh, to look back at this as a South Bridge option? We have a transportation strategy, and this goes back to my last time on council, where we had a transportation strategy that involved multiple crossings of the river mm. because obviously that can be a bottleneck when you start to grow the city more in the west. It's grown a fair bit to the east. Then you've got a river there and you've got different things on both sides of the river, mm. so you need to get across the river. Obviously, we had the H Ford for a long time as the only crossing. I mean, you go way up to Troy, obviously, but in, yes. in the CBD type area. Yeah. Then the Sarusia Bridge was built. And then there was some discussion, and certainly in our transportation strategy, we had in that long-term planning, this is going back maybe a decade or more, where we had this strategy in place where we would have a South Dubbo Bridge option. So somewhere down around where Tenworth Street-ish is, mm. there were other bridge options further south and other bridge options further north as well. Mm. We also had an option in there for the duplication of the LH Ford Bridge to essentially turn that two-lane bridge into a four-lane bridge. Mm. So there are a whole range of different options there. Yeah. As we progress, then yes, we've got the River Street ob option or the bridge that's being built now, or they're not calling it the River Street Bridge anymore, they're calling it the New Dubbo Bridge. But oh, okay, that's the new title, is it? How long can it be the New Dubbo Bridge for? It's going <laughs> to have a, right. a different name at some new point. New tends to have an expiry date. It does, doesn't it? So that there won't really solve the problem. That's more designed for highway traffic mm. and the Sarusia Bridge. In terms of the modelling at this stage, the amount of traffic that will take off the LH Ford Bridge, is approximately 1%. Is that all? That's right. Really? And was that always going to be the case? Did they expect that to be the case? I try and make f as few comments as possible about the River Street Bridge <laughs> and the New Dubbo Bridge because I'm, right. I'm not convinced that there was a lot of the thought process about okay. what Dubbo needed into that. Yeah. But it, it's happening. State government's controlling mm. it. Yep, Council's right. no control over it. Ahead. It's happening. So we accept that and that'll be good for people going along the New York Highway mm. and that's mm. great. And with flooding, there will be some better options there. Mm. So we look at the volume of traffic, say by the year 2030, mm. if you did nothing else, the River Street Bridge is up and running by then, you've got the Sarissia, you've got the LH Ford. If you did nothing else, you get to the point where you've got maybe 30,000 vehicles a day going across the LH Ford Bridge. Wow. Which is that's quite scary. a lot scary. of vehicles, isn't it? It is. And even now, if you talk to anyone that's there at – peak hour, and I don't mm. want to say peak hour, it's probably a peak 15 minutes right. at the we beginning of the day, then you probably have people lined up halfway across the bridge at certain times of the day, not very often, mm. but obviously that's only going to keep increasing. Mm. So always an option. Now, I know there was some discussion in the papers a few years ago about some South Dubbo Bridge options being put forward and 
the councillors today didn't seem to like any of them. Mm. They got rid of some options off the table and basically it just went quiet for a while. Mm. We recognise that one of the duties, the absolute duties of council is to plan things long term. Mm. Without a doubt about it, you should be planning things long term. So we've basically put back on the table the South Dover Bridge option because mm. we think it needs to be built by about the year 2030. That's okay. the sort of target. So yeah. it's not something that we wait for the year 2029 and then say, oh, what are we going to do about this bridge? Can I just, how long does it normally take for a bridge from Woe to Go to be constructed? Just a ballpark figure. Well, the, Three, four years? The River Street Bridge is an option that you can look at. It's a big bridge, though, so yeah. a lot of planning around that. When they actually start the physical construction of that, it'll be a couple of years easily, yeah. And yeah. but that's a big bridge. You could build other bridges. We've built some other bridges out in some of the regional roads of Dubbo hmm. within six months. Yeah. But again, they're ones that just go straight across the river yeah. and fairly small. What we're talking about here, and there's still some options that we're still looking at, but we're going to start costing these in a more detailed way. But you're talking about maybe having an entrance from Westerbo, maybe that lines up with Manor Road. So you mm. might go, if you're going down Manor Road, yep. you might be able to go straight across, or maybe it'll line up down closer to the golf course. So we're looking at some options mm. there. Mm. And it might come across that zoo land that's owned yes. there. So yes. a lot of that land across there is zoo land. And it might go slightly to the south of where the existing track O'Reilly and the Tamworth Street Bridge are now, mm. the pedestrian bridge. Mm. So you might go slightly to the south of that, and then it might join up around Temer Street, it could turn around into Blyer Street, for example. Mm. So we're looking at all these different options mm. there. Mm. The ultimate aim is that you want to be able to make it easier for people from West Dubbo to get to the CBD-ish area of Dubbo, but also just East Dubbo in general, mm. and the same vice versa. Mm. But think about, for example, the big picture here. We're talking about some form of southern distributor. When you're going to the Sheraton Road precinct, the school precinct yes, at Sheraton Road, yes. and you live in West Dubbo at the moment, you go down through the New Highway, busy intersection there, get onto the LH Forward Bridge, typically, yep. you probably wouldn't go through here, you go LH Forward Bridge, cross there, up the highway, lots of chances for traffic lights and stoppages up yep. the highway, yep. and roundabouts obviously which might slow and you talking down. talking to people from West Dubbo every day, it can be quite a long process. Yeah. yeah, and then you finally get up to Sheraton Road sort of precinct. Now, not everyone's going there, obviously, but you might want to go to other parts of East Dubbo. Mm. If you get, and this is the big picture again, this is where councils should be good at this strategic long-term planning. We've talked about a southern distributor. As you go out Macquarie Street and then it turns into Old Dubbo Road and then you've got Hennessy Drive, yes. Hennessy Road that comes off to the left there. Yep. The plan is as you go down Hennessy, you'll eventually, rather than turn left on Wheels Lane, eventually there'll be something called a southern distributor. Oh, yes, and that will yes. take you down around the housing development there loop around and join up eventually to Sheraton Road. Yeah, okay. I can so see if that. I'm in West yep. Dubbo and I've got a South Dubbo Bridge option, I might go, let's say I'm out Manor Road somewhere. Mm. I'll go out Manor Road or come down Manor Road, go across the highway, go down, around, loop around, across the river, up into Tamworth Street, get to Macquarie Street, turn right, and then loop around. I could go up Boundary Road, mm. but I've got a few stoppages along there. Mm. That Fitzroy Street crossing is always a bit of a pain. Mm. So maybe I just continue along Macquarie Street. Distributor. It's a 60-kilometre yeah. road there yep. rather than 50 k's up Boundary Road. Keep going along. When I join onto the Southern Distributor, mm. it eventually will be a 70k road. Yep. So I join in there. I haven't had many stops along the way there. Not a lot of intersections where I have to stop as the Macquarie Street driver. Mm, mm. And I loop around and eventually get to Sheraton Road. Mm. Yeah, that's not too bad. Now, that mm. might take a bit of traffic off Cobra Street, for example. Our population's growing. So it's a big picture. Now, people on, along Temple Street are concerned with that. We might have some sort of treatment, and this is all speculation at this stage, but mm. there might be some sort of treatment. For example, if you came up Temple Street from West Dubbo, when you get to Macquarie Street, you might only have the option to go left or right you may not have the option to go straight up Tamworth Street, mm. which might be a bit of a pain for people that do park run that live up Tamworth Street. When they get to there, <laughs> they, have to go, to yeah, they, they might have to go left or right there and then loop around. Yes, but yes. to stop all that traffic going straight up Tamworth Street, you might have a treatment like that. Maybe it's not that big an issue. We'll do more modelling as time mm. goes on. But essentially... Of course, this is just simply the discussion stage right now, isn't it? This is There's been a little bit of work done by the last council on okay. looking at some options. But you're not getting down to the detailed design yet. Mm. A long way to go before we get to that level. Even the costing, I mean, yeah. this might cost $40 million for this. Well, bridge. that's right. You're going to have to go out and source out the funding for that. I'm assuming that's not going to come out of council budget. We don't want it to come out of council budget. Definitely, no. we want to no. try and get some other funding. And again, if we've got seven years before we finally want this mm. built, then we've got a bit of time up our sleeve 
to go out and start having these discussions, start doing some of the planning, mm. get some feedback from the community, a whole range of things there. But I suppose the reason to discuss it here, yes, we've had a workshop mm. about it. Mm. It's really just to make sure residents know that, yes. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a point of discussion right now. It's a point of discussion and there's planning happening. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but there is planning happening around this. And yes, traffic will change. Some people say, I like traffic exactly the way it is. I don't want ever to change. Mm. Well, that's not realistic. It's going to change. Yes. People are finding it. it used to be a five-minute city. Now it's a 10-minute city. Yeah. It'll get to the stage one day. It's a 15-minute city. It's growing Change at is inevitable. That's the reality. That's exactly right. The only mm. thing that is absolutely going to happen is we're going to see change. And, yes. and I still see it as a positive because the more population we get, the higher population we get, the more services we've got, the yep. more government You've got to keep catering for those new needs as well. Exactly so, right. Yeah. Yeah. So Southway Bridge being discussed again. Okay. Keep an ear out. We're not rushing into it, but things will start to happen and we'll put these out as we mm. get some plans a little bit more concrete. We'll put some of these out and just talk to the community about them. Oh, excellent. Further. Now, speaking of future plans, I know this is one of the ones that uh, it was certainly close to my heart, still up there in the educational precinct there, what we talk about on Sheraton Road. It appears as though um, there's a little bit of movement at the station, so to speak, that uh, there's been a workshop done with councillors there in regards to Sheridan Road and the potential fixing of that area. And there is a probably a run of about 600 metres or so there where the road is in a pretty ordinary condition. What's actually happening there, Matt, in regards to Sheridan Road? Like I hear the fact that, that one of the reasons why Sheridan Road hasn't been fixed is because there needs to be a Blue Ridge link road put in first. Is this the plan for council so that we can get something there that's literally concrete and set up there in a proper way. It's a staged process, definitely. And just briefly on workshops, so one of the things that we do often, we don't always talk about them, but these two mm. certainly were topical ones that we've had workshops during the last week. The idea of a workshop is so that we can delve down, have our subject matter, act, subject matter experts in the room, have people that have done some of the planning, sometimes even external people from council, mm. to really drill down on one topic. So we might spend two hours getting information about one particular topic just to make sure that we understand we've got a head wrapped around it because mm. ultimately councillors will need to make decisions on all of this. Mm. So we need to make sure that we really understand all of that. And it's a good chance for the staff as well to hear the thoughts from councillors about how they think this is going to progress, what the community might think, just a, a good little chance to have a bit of feedback. Yep. Now, remember that no decisions are made at workshops. Decisions are made at It's a discussion point, meetings. isn't it, really? Exactly right. Mm. Now, all these discussions, whether it be the South Bay Bridge, which we just talked about, mm. or whether it be this one we'll talk about in a moment, all those discussions happen. Councils have got more background, more information. Eventually, a report of some description will come to council. Yep. There'll be further discussion at a council meeting, and then a decision will be made. No decision is made before that. And we can't direct staff to go away and do that. So we had a workshop on the South Bay Bridge. We, we then, at that workshop, cannot say to the staff, great, we'll Go and get that built now, will you? Mm. It needs a council resolution to do that. It really is a chance for us to fully understand it because it would be an incredibly long council meeting if we kept like all these right discussions. The yeah, well, yeah, if, yeah. if we had the level of discussion and input that we have at a workshop around mm. a council meeting about every topic, mm. the council meeting would take you two days. Yep. So the idea is you spread out these workshops over the month of a council meeting or maybe it might be over a couple of months leading mm. up to something and then when you finally get to Clarifying the council meeting... the points of understanding and things like that. Yeah, that's yep. exactly right. So to your point now, back to the, the Sheraton mm. Road and Blue Ridge Link Road. Yep. Sheraton Road, obviously, Boundary Road opened up, happy days. That then meant traffic had approached Sheraton Road from two different directions, but that road between Boundary Road and when it gets to the edge of the school precinct mm. is in a terrible condition. Mm. Needs work done on it without a doubt. It didn't suddenly pop up that way. Obviously, there's been a lot of years getting yep. to that point. Yep. And again, probably a bit of a lack of planning in the past led us to this point in mm. time. It was typically used for some industrial work, some the trucks. Quarry, yeah, trucks yeah, use sort of rumble bars, that's correct, right. that's yes. right. So typically before Boundary Road was open, it was just used by the quarry with trucks coming along there and bringing out mm. those goods along that particular bit of the road. Yep. That road was built a long time ago, probably around 1980 it was yes, originally okay. built. And I think it was originally built by... Maybe one of the quarries, when it first opened up, it might have been a condition of consent okay. that they had to build a road to actually take their goods out on. Yep. Don't hold me to that, but I, I suspect that's right, though. Yeah, yeah, I suspect yeah. that was probably what happened there. We want to fix that road up. If we put that road to a standard that we need it to be for traffic to come along and drop kids off at school, mm. etc., it will be destroyed fairly quickly by the truck traffic that's going on that there. Truck traffic is still on that road, that still comes along. Correct, unless we build it to a much higher standard for 
the trucks to be on, and then we're spending a lot of money on a road that isn't really needed for that. Mm, mm. The long-term plan is we've got Blue Ridge industrial area, and there'll be eventually a road that will come off the highway directly. It'll be called a Blue, Li- Blue Ridge Link Road. It'll go through Blue Ridge, take traffic through, take it as a feeder off there, and then link right up through to the Southern Distributor that we yep. talked about before. Yep. We're a long way from that happening. But what we're doing in the meantime is we're talking to some of those landowners. We've got some sort of parts of there that council already has ownership of, and we'll build a link road that will take traffic from the quarry, for example, through into Blue Ridge, but not straight out to the highway, but actually through Blue Ridge itself and then back out to the highway rather than a direct link. So, so that's, this will that's, be that's the first part of it, is it? First part, that's right. Okay. So we want to do that sooner rather than later. Yep. It's not ready for that to happen yet in terms of the traffic volume. And there are, it'll be lots of paddocks that'll go through rather than the Blue Ridge area being mm. fully developed. Mm. Obviously, the plan for that road was always about once that was developed much further, once Blue Ridge was developed much mm. further. But we think there's value in doing it earlier. Yep. Now, again, those various industrial areas, as they were developed, would have had to build that road. So we've got to do some tricky finances mm. where we might say, Is there an example, obligation of these, some of these groups to actually contribute to this as well? There is when they need it. Yeah, so okay. now there is no obligation. As they develop that area, mm. that's when the obligation would, yeah, okay. would be incurred or that's when they might have to pay some development fees as part of that process of developing those mm. blocks of land. Mm. So what we're doing is we're basically saying, well, council will do this and we'll fund it early, but we need a recognition from the various developers along there that this is the amount that you might you pay. You will financially contribute when that time comes. As the time comes. So we'll yeah. forward finance it, for example, and then have those various developers contribute. Okay. So we need to get some agreements from them. There's still some land we need to buy. So a bit of work to do there. Yep. But the plan is build that road through there, part of the southern distributor, part of the trucks to go on there. And then once we finish that, then we can go and upgrade that road to a much better standard along Sheraton, Sheraton Road, road yep. Yep. so that then vehicles that come along Boundary Road taking kids to school, going up to Bunnings, et cetera, around that yeah. area, can go on a road. Well, I can certainly see the logic standard. in that as well. Like if you're going to build a, a, you know, fix up that area road and then it gets destroyed again two years later because of the trucks still on it, it seems like a pointless waste of money. It does. And and again, we could build it to a standard that could handle those trucks, but it would be a much more expensive road mm. than it needs to be. So is that the best use of council mm. funds or rate-based funds, your mm. money essentially? So that's the plan. The only problem with that plan is it delays the fixing of Sheraton Road. I don't have a time frame for you yet. We're working on a time frame to get some sort of an idea and then we can communicate that with the community. But as much as people would love it to be fixed today, and I get that, I understand Mm. that, it would be a short-term fix at a more expensive level and I don't think that's the best way to use ratepayers' money. Mm. But I get the fact that people want it fixed now. So there's the the conundrum we have, Mm. but that's Mm. the plan at this stage is to do the Blue Ridge Link Road and then do Sheraton Road. Is it, does Sheraton Road process. right now, does it fall under a higher maintenance level or anything like that? Do they maintain, is there an expectation of maintaining that road though to a, a level that is not in the current condition as it currently is? Like it is in pretty ordinary condition right now. Is there a way that it can be maintained to a higher level though without initially sort of taking up the road and uh, redeveloping it? It's probably one of those things that it's in that poor state that the less you can spend on it for maintenance, the better. Mm. So from a cost perspective, you really want to do the minimum maintenance because when we redo that road, it'll be redone more or less. You see heavy patching where they dig out the ground and, and, and basically mm. almost build it up again from the ground. When we fix that road, it won't be someone spraying a bit of bitumen on there. Mm. It'll be someone digging out the road in sections and then redoing sections so that it's done properly. It won't be quite to the standard of boundary road, but yeah. it's that sort of type of standard rather than just fixing up what's there. So in the meantime, the maintenance that, will be done on that road, will be done pretty much at a bare level maintenance, minimum cost to keep it at a level that's not fantastic. So it's not going to improve dramatically in the short term until we redo that road properly. Okay. Well, you've been out and about with the uh, councillors visiting some of Dubbo's finest attractions again. The A uh, couple of weeks ago, we were out visiting the tip and uh, the sewage works, and it looks like this week you've been out at the Wylandral Waste and Recycling Depot. You're getting around. It actually reminds me, back when I first got on council, we were doing some of these bus tours. We were yes. talking about 2004. Do you sell tickets for these bus tours, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how much we'd get for them. <laughs> but we went to a place called Egret Park. Right. Egret Park is beside, the, yeah, beside Dawson Park, the Greyhound Racing Track, on Wheelers Lane. Right. And we're on this bus tour all the councillors on there, going around to various facilities of council. And this mm. is back when it was only Dubbo City Council, not Wellington. And we drove down this little laneway and I went, oh, 
never really noticed this mm. laneway. Mm. And we got to the back of this laneway and here's this wonderful wetland area. It's an artificial wetland and it's a haven for wetland birds and This wildlife. is next to the, the Greyhound track. Yeah. That's is right. it really? So I never knew it existed. Oh, okay. Well, if you didn't know, that's, I don't feel so bad now. It had been in operation then since 1998. Oh. And so when I was on council, it had wow. been there for about six years. And I went, I never knew about this. Why didn't someone tell me about yeah, this? Yeah. But we looked at that and I went, wow, council's got some things that I had no idea about. Yeah. And so one of the plans that I certainly communicated through to our CEO when I got back onto council mm. was we had eight people that had never been on council before. Vicky had been on the last council and personally I hadn't been on the new council. Mm. So really nine people that were new in particular with some Wellington facilities. And I yeah. said to the CEO, we used to do these bus tours, they were fantastic. We really need to do those again but there are so many facilities, we're still doing them now. Mm. And so the one, as you mentioned, during the well, week... Well, wetland sounds exciting. It was. It and was fantastic. That sounds really cool. And actually, even when we went out to the sewage treatment plant that you mentioned a few weeks yes, ago, yes. There are, there's a, a bird-watching area out there. So there's a bit of a wetlands oh, out there right, as well. okay. Most people don't know about that. No, well, exactly. I don't know about it either. So one of the things is we want councillors to know about all these different facilities yeah, yeah. and just to be familiar with them. And again, you're going through a budget sometimes and going, well, hold on. Well, Andrew, Waste and Recycling Centre, what mm. do we do here? What's happening mm. with that? Mm. So one of the ones, and again, they don't sound that exciting, do they? Well, the plan? you know, that's just my facetiousness sort of <laughs> pulling through there. So one of the things that's good about all this is you get to see it, but you also get to hear from the staff there. Mm. And so one of the things that was fascinating, so this was 6.31 morning, we went out there, and we sat down just to have a bit of a, an induction, first of all, and a bit mm. of a background on it, but... 130 tons, we're up to 130 tons a year. Oh, wow. Go through the Wallandra Waste Depot. That's a now, significant number. I can remember, and you'd remember this as well, the old yes. Bennett's Brickworks. I, yes. I lived very near there when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. On Down Macquarie on the Street. of um, Boundary Road, Macquarie Street. Yeah, that's right, in that ser- section there. So they had the brickworks there. And as part of the brickworks, because that was way out of town at the time. Oh, it was, yes. It was a they dug a big hole in the ground to use the materials from the ground as part of the making yes. of the bricks. And then when that was all finished with, they went, oh, We've got a big hole in the ground now. I know. We could make that our tip. So that was a tip for me as a kid. That's right. It was about a one-minute ride in the car to go and take stuff from the tip. You'd fill up the trailer with rubbish. You'd drive around the corner and you'd back it up and you'd just shovel it into the the hole and that was it or or tip it out of the trailer. And so even when it moved to Apex Oval, as many people are aware, Apex Oval used to be a big tip, which is now a fantastic football ground. You wouldn't know, would you? Yeah. Now, in fact, when we're putting in a large storage facility underground there, a large water storage mm. facility underground, I remember being up there when the construction was happening and it was fascinating what they were digging through. They mm. had old bikes they were digging oh, through, and so all right. these bits of old office equipment and yeah, chairs and all sorts of things because it yeah. was a rubbish tip. That's it. So now when you talk about out there at Wallandra, mm. the regulations around what we've got to do with all the different rubbish that's dropped off is so dramatically different mm. compared to just back up mm. a trial and tip that's it all right. out. There's yeah. so many things yeah. where you try and segregate it out. and try. Well, that's and, right. These days you have to, don't you? Yeah, yeah, try and do things that are better for the environment. In fact, some people have talked to me about a junk shop. And yeah. one of the things that's interesting there is that people do bring along rubbish and then other people come along and want, that, want to basically buy that. Yeah. The problem is it still costs council. So there is still a cost to council yes. to run that. You don't make enough money out of what you sell mm. to cover the cost, but it's good to do some recycling. Anyway, that's something that will further consider. But this is one of those interesting things. After you do the the induction, if you like, and after you talk about what's there, then you go and have a tour around there. And again, mm. it's absolutely fascinating. Mm. We've got a huge site there. The initial estimation when we bought that site was that would probably do us for 270 years. That's actually changed a bit now because of the regulations and the way we've got to deal with the tip. Right. But we're still pretty safe there for a long period of time. So and that'll yet, be well past uh, your and my expiry date. I think so. And one of the things that we could offer is there is a potential there for service for other councils that we might say, let's take their rubbish. It reminds me of the Simpsons episode where Homer runs for the job of sanitation commissioner by promising that the garbage man will do everything for you. After he's elected, he blows the annual budget in a month and to solve the problems... He has cities all over America pay Springfield to dump their rubbish down in a abandoned mine shaft. After the city overflows with rubbish, Mayor Quimby moves the entire town five miles down the road. Now, I'm not saying we want to go that far and be the dumping ground for Australia, but we need to continue to look at all of our facilities and see what services we could provide. Okay. Again, it's just one of the interesting things. There's so many different parts of council, so many different areas that we manage mm. with airports and stockyards. Yeah, and it's a big operation. Yeah, all sorts of different things that we manage. Yeah. So, yeah, it's quite fascinating. It's great to see councillors out there and, and joining these inspections. Absolutely. A couple of weeks ago, Matt, we talked about um, the homeless numbers here in Dubbo and... Uh, 
sort of a bit of a surprising figure came to me that that it was a the number I was expecting, the number you gave me was a lot less. And I noticed that during the week you had the chance to uh, what was called the assertive outreach walk, um, and you managed to go around there. And from what I can gather, you actually went out and visited some of the homeless people in town. Is that correct? We were at a meeting probably a month ago, maybe a little bit more, where we were talking about the homeless problem in Dubbo and how we could address it. And we had some council staff there, but lots of government departments sitting around the table. And I did ask the question at that time, how mm. many people, and got a number that surprised me. And I actually said, how do you know how many? And they said, we go for a walk early in the morning, we go for mm. a walk and have a look. And I said, well, can I join in? I don't yeah. work for that government department, but yep. can I join in? That's a sure thing. So exactly as you said, the assertive outreach walk, they do this typically twice a week. Department of Communities and Justice, our okay. state government department. Yep. And so they go along and they look for people in common areas, if you like, mm. that are out there slipping rough. If they're up out of bed, they'll go and have a talk to them. And so yep. I was actually looking forward to talking to some people. I want to hear a bit of their story. I want yeah. to know how they, ended sure. up, yeah, how they ended up in this situation where mm. sleeping out rough is the only option they had available to them. Mm. So we went for a walk. It's about a 7K loop they do. It takes a couple of hours mm. and off we went. And so basically we went along Trackerati, along the main part of Trackerati on both sides of the river, mm. up along the main street, a few other streets there, there were yeah. common areas. And what was fascinating was the numbers were even lower than I had expected. Oh, really? So lower again? Lower again. Wow. So we saw two tents along the river, one yeah. just underneath one of the pylons of the bridge and one a bit further south of that. Yeah. And the people from the Department of Communities and Justice talking about it, said, oh, that one there, that tent there, there's a couple that live there. They love the river view down there. Yes. But they weren't there and they said they, they think they've moved on from there. So the tent was still there, but no one was there. So right, okay. no one to talk to there. The yep. one on the river as well, on the underneath the bridge on one of the pylons, mm. they said that one there hasn't changed for at least the last two weeks. Mm. So they don't think they're there anymore. Mm. And then there were two vehicles. There was one on Carrington Avenue, right. which I've seen there for probably the last month. So someone's living in the car there, were they? When you look at the car, it looks pretty obvious that someone's living yeah, there. A lot okay. of clothes in there. Yeah. looks like top bedding material in there. Mm. But there was no one there. So apparently mm. they got up early in the morning, they go somewhere, go to the toilet, have a shower, mm. basically just move away from there and then come back there and sleep at mm. night time. Mm. And there was one other car we saw down just near Trekker Riley parked on the road and they said that car's been parked there for a while but mm. there was no one in it at the time. Okay. So I didn't get to talk to anyone. There were only those four that I saw. One other pair of brothers apparently live up further away from the river along underneath the bridge but they've been told unequivocally, well the partners have been told unequivocally by these pair of brothers to go away yeah, in right, okay. maybe not such a polite term yep. because they said this is our lifestyle choice we want to live here. We love living here like this. Yeah, right. So leave us alone because they've been offered temporary accommodation. There are services that give you maybe 28 days of temporary accommodation until you can sort something else out. Yeah. But they've been told this is how we want to live. Please leave us alone right. and go away. And they've been a bit aggressive, so the staff tend to leave them alone. So we didn't actually go past those two, yeah. assuming they're still there. Yeah. So it was actually Not quite interesting. Not numbers though, are they? No. Now, what they did do, obviously you've got a chance for a couple of hours to talk to to staff mm. and find out what's going on. The problem with, um, for example, couch surfing, people mm. living in a situation that's not ideal, they're not renting, they're not owning, they're mm. just living in someone else's area. Do we know any sort of numbers like that? I suppose it would be very hard to work out though, wouldn't it? Really? It's hard, but they do get a bit of feedback from that. And so there okay. are people living like that in Davo and there are people who are on waiting lists for homes. And I, I see that as still a problem. It's not mm. fantastic that you haven't got somewhere to live, but at the same time, we should be looking after each other. Mm. So if mm. if a friend said to me, I've down on my luck, can I come and sleep on your couch or have mm. you got a spare bed somewhere I could sleep in, yeah. then I wouldn't see that as the end of the world. Maybe if they were there for months and months, you might start to say, well, hold on, is there anywhere else you could go? Yeah, that's have right. you got other friends now yes, or yes. have you got somewhere else that you can try and find some accommodation But it would just be own? the normal thing, wouldn't it? As, as, as human beings, we try to support our friends and those relatives and people in need of support. Absolutely right. And, and when I was growing up, I would sleep at friends' places if I go and visit. I couldn't yeah, afford yeah. a motel, for example. I'd stay in a, yeah. a friend's couch or I might go and stay in a sibling's place. I know for a lot of uni students do a lot too. Oh, yeah. exactly right. So mm. it's not ideal, but it's one of those things when looking after each other is okay. And in mm. Japan, I just feel that they do multi-generational things very well. So mm. in one household, there might be a grandparent, a parent, and a child 
you might have mm. three generations, you might have four generations mm. in the one household, and mm. that seems like standard sort of thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? and in Australia we don't tend to do that as much. So it's a problem. The cost of living, mm. the cost of housing, is a problem, which ends up people living mm. down on the river or at someone else's house. Well, that's right. Potentially, this problem could grow. You know, oh. and under the current situation, economic climate, the way it is. Exactly right. Hey, tell me, um, here in town, do we have facilities set up uh, for people who, you know, need to have a, a shower somewhere or are their, their food vans available? Or, you know, what's, what do we actually have here in town in regards to that? Do we have anything available for any of those sort of things? So there are certainly different organisations in Dubbo that provide a range of services. Again, mm. it could be temporary accommodation. It could be just a motel sometimes. There are there mm. are times when I've heard about people, there was one lady that someone told me about that there was the, the lady in a domestic violence situation, so she needed to get out of that situation. Mm. Five kids, and so where do you go? It, it's pretty hard to find a couch to surf on mm. with five kids in tow. Yeah. So, for example, they were given a motel night just for a couple of nights just to be able to get in there, have a nice bed, have a shower and then see what they could work at in some form of a temporary accommodation. Mm. So there are ways. There so there's are, a lot of short-term options maybe. I'll tell you a lot, but there, there are short-term there options. There are some short-term options, exactly yeah. right. Getting people into some form of accommodation. And I suppose that's re- the real issue here. Because rent's getting dearer, mm. landlords, it's an investment for them. So Absolutely. they're charging yeah. what market rent is. Yep. It's harder and harder for people on a median income to pay that market rent. So there are some services available. Yes, it'd be nice to have more. But the the real problem, I, th- I suppose, is we need more housing. Simple as that. Mm. If you have more housing, the pressure on the cost of that housing goes down. And more social housing would be great. But again, council doesn't control mm. it. Council doesn't mm. control any of this. But the social housing would be great. We, we've seen a call out for more social housing across the state, without a doubt. Mm. So that's something the state government needs to provide. But just more housing in general. Mm. So more developers building more ho- houses. That means that you've got less pressure, supply and demand, means that you've got less pressure on the amount of housing. Mm. That means the price can come down a little bit because at the moment it is very expensive yeah. to live, even in Dubbo, which is much better cost of living wise than, say, Sydney, for That's example. That's right, yes. But, uh, I noticed the fact that uh, last weekend the, there was a new wonderful uh, setup down there, the, down there at the DR. TCC, the theatre, in regards to the Dementia Choir. Um, now, you turned up there last week to, to watch this. It's a wonderful new operation that's been set up here. This, who is this group, by the way? Yeah, it only was set up eight months ago. Anne Gamble, who's employed by Western New South Wales Local Health District as an aged care services mm. um, director, I, I assume, something in the aged care services there. Um, she's a, a registered nurse but also does dementia counselling. And so she came up with this idea, and obviously other people have been involved as well, mm. of putting together a choir. Mm. And she said, it just seems fantastic. I spoke to her about it a little bit before this particular event mm. and said, it just seems fantastic. People that might have trouble remembering their child or their partner, mm. you put them in a choir situation, suddenly they can sing words to a song oh. that they can remember, or yeah. they might have some words to a song in front of them, but they started doing these choirs and it's grown and grown. I think they're getting regularly 80 people a week coming along and Isn't attending these choirs. Yeah. yeah, so good. So they thought they'd put a concert on. Yes. And I thought, what yeah. a great idea. Yeah. So they put a concert on and they filled the, the theatre. So you've got well, this world-class theatre. That's, that's, that's right. amazing. World-class theatre, DRTCC. We've had a whole range of international acts there. Yes. And you've got the Dementia Choir, Sing Out. I think technically they're called the Sing Out Dementia Choir. Right. And you could just see when they were walking on a stage, they were smiling and waving to people in the audience. I assume a lot of family members yes, in the audience. Yes. So they were over the moon. And then they started singing a few old classics. And people Gotta in the love audience. This. Were, this is fantastic. Yeah, isn't people it? in the audience were encouraged yeah. to sing along with them. And so it was a really uplifting feeling, but well mm, done mm. to Anne Gamble. And again, mm. other people that have been involved as well. Again, will this be a, an annual concert? I'm not sure what mm. her plans are, but just to get those people performing and seeing family members come along. I think it was fantastic. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I went and saw Tom Gleeson with Hard Quiz on Saturday night. Oh, yes, yes. And fantastic. Actually, the last time I saw Tom Gleeson do Hard Quiz, I was in Melbourne for the Melbourne Grand Prix. Right. And he was performing there. So you've got Melbourne, Melbourne yep. and Sydney always fighting over being the largest city yes, in yes. Australia. So major metropolitan city. And you've got acts on there like Tom Gleeson. Mm, and then mm. Dubbo on this world-class stage, you've got... Tom Gleeson coming out to Dubbo, which is, I guarantee we wouldn't get those sort of acts. No, if you didn't, if didn't have this have setup we have, that's but right. But to have yeah. the Sing Out Dementia Choir on yeah. the same stage uh, a week before someone like Tom Gleeson or yep. Carl Barron was on as well yes, lately. That's right. So yes. you've got all these great names and you've got this Sing Out Dementia oh. Choir. So anyway, well done to all those. Yeah. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. 
Now, speaking of wonderful facilities, of course, we've got um, our Western Plains Cultural Centre down there, and I noticed the fact that the the Young Archies, now, of course, the Archibald Prize was only announced uh, during the week, the the major one. Now, these are are the kids, aren't they? These are the little ones from year five onwards, or five years of age, should I say, onwards, are actually presenting their own little paintings. So that's on right now down at the Western Plains Cultural Centre. Absolutely right. Go and have a look. The talent Mm. there is incredible. I love going along to the Archibald Exhibition. I bet you it's a bit more than just finger painting. <laughs> it's actually it's very impressive. Yeah. Now think about the Archibald Prize, the most prestigious prize in Australia with the winner receiving 100 grand. It started in 1921 and in 2022 there were 816 entries with 52 finalists chosen. All the finalists in the winning portrait by Black Douglas will be on display at the Western Plains Cultural Centre from Friday the 2nd of June. But the Young Archies was mm. started 11 years ago right. as a similar sort of concept. Portrait, obviously. They've got four different age categories, five to eight years, right, right. nine to 12, 13 to 15, and 16 to 18. So are these just local kids? Absolutely. You've got ones from all over the Debo local government area. Yep, yep. 175 entries. Oh, wow. So there's wow. a lot there. That's and massive. I, I, was, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. You go along there and you think, how good are these going to be compared to the Archies, uh, to, uh, compared to the real Archibald To be prize? honest, I'd probably find it a bit humiliating because if a five-year-old can paint better than me, then I'm, <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm pretty sure most of them can. <laughs> so it's absolutely worth going on every look. And it probably gets you a bit more intrigued for yeah. when the full Archibald exhibition comes next That's month. That's right. But some of these kids I can see absolutely in a few years' time, maybe a decade or more, mm. we'll be seeing them as yeah. an exhibition in the Archibald Finals. These regional kids are just as good as the city kids when oh, it comes to painting and all that right. sort of stuff. And keep in mind, you mentioned facilities there, the Western Plains Cultural Centre, about 2006, mm. I think that was open from memory. Mm. And you've got the facilities there to display artworks at the right temperature, mm. the right humidity. Mm. I guarantee we would not have the ability to display the full Archibald exhibition, the finalists, etc., mm. the young Archie Shaw, mm. but the, mm. the finalists, those paintings would not be displayed unless you had the right facilities to display them Absolutely. in. So the reason yes. we're getting the full Archibald is because we've got the facilities there. It doesn't mm. mean we get them Build every it, year. They will come. Well, it's, uh, mm. it's, it's, it's along those lines that we have to have the facilities right, yes. whether it be the theatre or whether it be the cultural centre, we have to have the facilities right to be able to get those there. So I'm pretty excited about... The Archibald coming up, but actually looking at the young Archies, yeah. that was probably stirred me up a bit more going, oh, I can hardly wait to see the Absolutely. Archibalds now as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, great. get along and have a look at those young Archies and the Archibalds when they oh, come. Oh, brilliant. And Matt, I noticed during the week, of course, that a uh, big announcement's been made. The Dream Festival is back on deck. But it looks like a new date's been set. So you've changed the date this year. What's, what's happening here? Yeah, so the Dream started way back in 2011. Mm. And it was started, actually, Peter Bartley, who was a councillor at the time, mm. wanted some sort of festival to really reflect the new artistic and cultural background that we now have. Mm. So that mm. was all started. John Walkham, from memory, was the first oh, chairperson yes, yes, of that. Good old John, yep. yes. And then it went along for a number of years, and now it's basically, it was run by a committee where council used to give it some money. Mm. It's now been brought internally to council, and we've got some community members that help out on that. The problem is the last couple of years have been a bit interrupted because we've had mm. COVID, yes. and then last year one of the main features of the Dream is the Lantern Parade, yep. and of course you had that bad weather day. I remember that. That's right, yes. So this year, hopefully, accepting tsunamis and mouse plagues and <laughs> weather events. the next plaguey sort of disaster is going to happen, that's right, yes. Hopefully we'll have the full process that occurs as it's done in the past. Now, normally it's in October, mm-hmm. and we used to think having daylight saving in place was a great thing for it because mm. you can be out later at night. Mm. But getting feedback from people that ah, took okay. their families along. The lanterns, the darkness, is that right? Well, part of that, yes. you're getting people home so late. So mm. parents were saying, we love the kids being down part of the lantern break. It's a fantastic event. Mm. But because of daylight saving, it has mm. to be on later because obviously mm. it's not much good running the lanterns while the sun's up. Yep. And then we're getting them home so late, the kids are getting yeah. restless or not getting a good night's sleep, whatever it might be. So September weather's still beautiful. It's a lovely that's time right. of the year. So we brought it forward essentially into September and yep. run through the month of September. Hmm. We've got two things that have been announced so far, Zucoustic and the Lantern Parade. Zucoustic's a concert, open-air concert at the zoo. Oh, yes, I remember yes. being to one previously. actually did yes. rain at one one time. I remember having a... Another one of those things I need to get out to. <laughs> but they're the first two things that have been announced. But if you go to dreamfest.com.au... Right then you can see all these activities now. Again, two will be on there at the moment, but September's a few months away yet. 
We'll have more things that will be announced. Typically, Fong Lee's Lane in Wellington is a part oh, yes, of the Oh, yes, that's right. They, they sort of link up now too, don't they? Yeah, that's right. So mm. it's a range of different events. It's a great month of festival, and that's mm. really what it is. It, it changes every year. Different things happen. Mm. But hopefully this year, back to being bigger and better than mm. ever. And I've just got to shout out to Macquarie Credit Union, who have been long-time financial supporters of this event. So thank you to them because they've been contributing almost as much money as council has been contributing oh, over well, the years. enormous, so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah they've yeah. been very well. Big believers in it. Do you still have the uh, the cultural award recipient? Wasn't there a, a award that was given out at one stage there for the cultural person of the year or something? Yeah, so that hasn't been announced as something right. there yet. But I so assume applications are available for that sort of thing. I'm or? not sure if anything's happened with that. Nomination, yet. should I say? Not applications. Yeah, so I haven't seen anything announced about that yet. Okay. I assume they'll still do that again, but I actually don't have that information. Oh, right, sorry, okay. at this stage. That's but all right. if they do do that, which I assume they will. Mm. Then we'll talk more about it as the future comes and as nominations open, et cetera. But that has been a a good thing in the past, Mm. I think, acknowledging someone that's made a great contribution in some form of arts or culture on a broader network outside of Dubbo, but originated Mm. from Dubbo. I think that was a great thing. Oh, looking forward to it. That'll be fantastic. Well, Matt, this brings towards the end of the show. And, of course, that means it's time for your weekly limerick. So... I always sit and wait in anticipation. What have we got this week? Well, I'm cheating this week. You're cheating? Because at the launch of the Dream Festival what, during the week... using GPT or something? <laughs> at the launch of the, <laughs> of the Dream Festival during the week, I thought, what better way to launch some sort of arts, cultural yes. type event than with a bit of poetry and Olympic is a very short oh, form of poetry. Very good, very good. So I actually used... So people might have already heard this because it was on the news during the week when I... Did my limerick oh, wait to a launch minute. I this. think I did see a picture of you in a feather boa or something. <laughs> that's, that's the one. <laughs> nice, colourful, that nice colourful hat, that's right. Uh, all part of it. Uh, did a bit of juggling while doing oh, a, a limerick. Oh, this is a multi-talented man. <laughs> and so I'm using the same limerick now. Oh, just because I thought... Well, reuse, recycle, all that sort of stuff. That's right. It works so well. I thought that would be the best way to do it because it still relates to what happened during the week. So Excellent. here goes. The launch of the Dream Fest came and the town was alight with a flame of artistry bright by day and by night, a festival no one could tame. Oh, that's magic. And folks, I know you can't see what's happening here, but he's actually got three juggling balls doing that at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, that concludes our Meryl Memo for this week. So whatever you're doing this week, get out there again. This weather's turning a bit cool, but I'm sure you'll get out and enjoy some of the wonderful facilities, should I say, out here in our Dubbo region. Until next week, everyone, take care. Meryl Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.